Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. I am your host, Tommy Ashley. That's Gregory Hall. That's Greg Barnes. It is On The Beat Live. We are live streaming on YouTube as we speak. Got uh, a few people watching at the moment. Need more. Tell your friends to join the crowd. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Of course, sponsors of this show and great friends of us. If you're a premium subscriber to Inside Carolina, you've, of course, got that 10% off. I told people on the day after podcast earlier, I guess Sunday morning, after spring game, I used it. Saved me some money. And uh, I have no shame. I will use a discount anytime. It won't be long before I can use the senior one at the restaurants. Anyway. I digress. This is the last on the beat live regularly scheduled. So what we're going to do here is we're going to button up the podcast or excuse me, button up the season football and basketball. Uh, Carolina's got a big baseball game going on as we speak. I think they're about to lose it. Um, but I'm going to start with Greg Barnes, Greg, um, Buck and Jason and I sort of rehashed the, the spring game. Um, on Saturday, which, um, pretty impressive display of talent from North Carolina out there on the field, especially on the defensive side of the ball. We've heard Kadre Jackson is entered the transfer portal. I can imagine that that's not the only one that's going to come. Uh, was there any surprise when you saw his name hit? Uh, a little bit, just because you know, he, he has been working a lot with the, with the blue team, which is, is the ones. Um, and it's one of those situations, you know, the way this works, you have your, you have your starters that everybody knows that gets a lot of hype. And, and this year that's Jeremiah uh, Gimmel, as well as Eugene Asante uh, having to replace Chas Rapp. And then any, uh, any freshman really, but especially talented freshmen come in and they get all the attention. But as we've watched these scrimmages throughout spring, uh, while power and rah-rah, are clearly going to be good players, no doubt about that. Uh, they were still playing behind uh, Cedric Gray and and Kadri Jackson, so it's really one of those things where we'll have to kind of get more details. Um, but was it a situation where the coaching staff said, "Look, you know these young guys are coming on, and so the playing time may or may not be there for you." We don't know that. It could just be that uh, he he sees that he's not going to be starting. Uh, and he knows what's behind him. And so if he doesn't get to play this year, he may not have that opportunity. Um, so we can speculate all we want. But uh, as, as you've mentioned offline, Tommy, Kadri Jackson is like the quintessential special teams guy, right? I mean, like a linebacker that can run, that can hit. Even if he's not playing on defense, those are the types of guys that you want on special teams. And that's the challenge that, that Mac Brown and his staff have. And that's the challenge all these coaches are going to have is that because of the transfer, transfer portal situation, a lot of these guys who may not be your starters 
but are probably going to be good backups. Are they okay with that? Are they okay with being the standout on special teams without getting the recognition and the snaps uh, you know, during the games on, on defense or offense? How do you balance that? Uh, and nobody knows. And so you, all you can do, as we talked about, is be honest with these guys. Mac is doing that. Um, and so you know, Kadri decided to leave. I wholeheartedly agree with you. This is not the only one. There's going to be more, and I suspect, over the next – four or five days when we talk with Mac again next Tuesday. So I imagine between now and next Tuesday, uh, there'll be at least a number of other guys that, that make the same kind of decision. Yeah. That's the thing with, with um, the free transfer and, and play immediately. Uh, guys are like in normal year, I think he stays and he's a stud special teams guy. And then he, and then he plays after Gimmel leaves and, and maybe Asante, um, but now there's really no reason to, right? There's no reason to stick around unless you just love Carolina and what people un don't understand. And sometimes on the message boards, I, I think that people sort of think that Carolina is the be all end all for everybody. And it's not for everybody. Guys need to make money. Guys need to play. And uh, I think he's going to be a good player. I, I think that he showed flashes Saturday. Um, and like we've mentioned and you mentioned off the air, Special teams took a hit today or yesterday or whenever he entered the portal. And I see a situation where it's going to take multiple hits. And, and then you're going to have these young guys like Ra Ra and Power playing on special teams more than maybe they would have normally. Anyway, Gregory, your thoughts on that? I mean, well, you mentioned my, special teams. Yeah, go ahead. And just somebody to look out for as we talk about competition and having conversations is a guy like British Brooks who I believe he was the special teams player of the year last year, Greg, if I remember that correctly. Sounds and right, yeah. They love him on special teams. He's a leader out there. He knows what he's doing. He's established. He's a veteran. Because special teams, I mean, yeah, they put some of the young guys and some of the guys who aren't playing, but it's still not something you can – it doesn't make it any easier than offense or defense or things like that. So you still need those veterans out there. And when you look at the running back competition right now, I mean, British doesn't necessarily – look to be in that three guy in those three guys but he's good enough to be a running back somewhere if it's not in that top three at unc so he's a guy you kind of concerned about leaving because he is your special teams captain and like greg said no one really knows how to balance that and what they're kind of going forward so that's just a name that not that i'm saying he's transferring anything but it's just if we're talking about blows moving forward, I think that would be a substantial one as far as if he doesn't get the running back reps that he wants, but maybe he's okay with the role he has, you know, we're not, we can't make these decisions for these guys and they probably don't even know what their decisions they're going to make and what's important to them either. And, and this may be a conversation that we can have once the, the portal date arrives, you know, July one. Um, but I think that's a good point with British. Now, British, I think, is the guy, kind of guy that's going to hang around just because he is a, he is a Carolina guy and he, uh, he understands his role uh, in being a leader, especially now this year. Um, I, I just see him being the type of guy that will stick around and do everything he can to help the team. But so many football players, if you want to make it at the next level, you've got to be a contributor on special teams. Um. Because you have to I – mean, there's only, what, 53 roster spots at the NFL. And so if you're a backup in the NFL and you're not on special teams, you're not sticking on a roster. 
Matt Collins is a great example for that. He was a walk-on, uh, high-energy guy, good speed. He killed it on special teams for Larry Fedora for a couple of years, and then he transitioned that over to a wide receiver, um, and that's how he stuck in the NFL for however long he has. And a lot of guys like that. And so if guys are running or leaving a program just because they're not getting playing time, even though they could carve out a, a niche on special teams, how does that how does that translate to the next level? And what does that mean for the next level? And we won't know until we actually see it, but I think it's an interesting part of this. I think the immediate eligibility completely changes everything. Uh, because I, I, like I mentioned earlier, I think if, if, if it's a situation where you have to transfer and sit or whatever, unless you go down a level, then you stick around and you play special teams. Somebody may get hurt and then you get your chance and then you make your name. Um, you, you know, I, somebody on the YouTube chat asks, is he the biggest name? Is Jackson the biggest name? Uh, don't know. have no idea if that's going to be the biggest name. And, you know, the biggest production guy, uh, I don't know, because he didn't really produce. I think also, Greg, and I wanted to ask you this when you guys were talking, is Bateman's way of playing his inside linebackers has a lot to do with this, I think. He doesn't take them out. Uh, I mean, Gimmel's not coming off the field unless he's carried off. And probably if somebody subbed out, Asante maybe, but Gimmel not coming off. And if I'm an inside linebacker with some talent and an opportunity – I'm not seeing the field, and if, we, if I don't like the special teams aspect or don't want to buy my time there, do you think Bateman's way of not rotating that position specifically um, maybe had anything to do with anything? Well, possibly, and I think the other aspect of that, to build on that, Tommy, is we've talked a lot this spring. Because Bateman now has all these big bodies that he can actually use along the defensive front, you're not really going to be seeing Tamon Fox play a lot at end. You're not going to be seeing Kamon Rucker playing a lot at end. Those guys are going to be pass rushing specialists on the outside, primarily at outside linebacker. And because you do have so many talented big bodies, we're going to see a lot more of a traditional three, four because he can do it. He hasn't been able to do it the first two years. And that's why we really saw that hybrid, you know, four, two, five, whatever it may be, where maybe you only had one outside linebacker. Well, now because you can use Fox and Rucker and Chris Collins and Des Evans out outside linebacker, you're not going to be taking those guys off the field because you need a pass rusher. Well, you know Gimmel's going to play for reasons that you said and because he's, he's the leader of this defense. So now if you want to go to a nickel package and you want to get a Jacurious Conley or a Don Chapman on the field, well, where are you going to take a position away? It's going to be that second inside linebacker position. Um, and so I think, I think that's kind of what we're looking at in terms of, you know, the, the snaps are going to diminish there in the middle. We made a big deal about uh, Tommy Thickpen only having five guys there last year. Well, given how things are set up right now roster-wise, they may only want five guys there now. And they may only need four guys. Um, and so certainly that, that could have played a role as well. And they've been high on Cedric Gray recently. Yeah. Um, he That's a name. Good. He did. He looked great on Saturday. All those young guys did. Power, Cedric, Ra Ra. I mean, Kadri had his flashes, Eugene. So, like, I guess maybe Kadri's kind of saw the writing on the wall a little bit. Cause, like you mentioned, they might only want four. And it looks like it's you, Jeremiah Gimmel, Eugene Asante, 
Cedric Gray and then Power and um, Rara Dilworth kind of fighting for those last spots. And Kaji was like, all right, I'll, I mean, exactly. I mean, that had to have played into his decision, right? But it also is interesting um, focusing on him is how quick it was because, I mean, he played on Saturday and the transfer news already came out. I don't know when Mac was planning on having his conversations and meeting with his players, but it sounds like something either it was a very quick rash decision or something been talked about for a little while. Well, we received word not long before you know, it was announced, which, and this is me guessing, but that, that leads me to believe that those conversations started Monday morning and um, you know, we'll see, but yeah, maybe it was a situation where he's been thinking about it again. You know, this is all speculation. I haven't sure, actually talked course. to him, um, but if it was a conversation, you know, an honest, tough conversation with the coaching staff Monday morning, then very easily he could have been like, all right, you know what? I gave it a shot. Now I'm ready to move on. And that's that. But, um, and why wait? And why yeah, exactly. Wait? Yeah. Cause the portal is packed already and you don't want to get in the portal and then not have anywhere to go. And a couple of things I want to say, I don't fault a kid or a player for doing what's best for him. I definitely don't fault Jay Bateman for not rotating inside linebackers. I mean, especially, um, the play caller like Gimmel, they got to play every time. Um, and, and also who I fought in all this is NCA, but that's another matter, but guys have to do what they have to do. And another thing folks fretting about losing talented transfers, that's what happens when you have a ton of talent. I mean, Kyler McMichael's not on Carolina's roster right now. If Clemson didn't have the same situation and to a lesser extent, Cam Kelly, you that's what happens. If you want to have big time talent on the football team, you got to realize that your favorite guy might leave or, or your guy, you know, they just, they're not going to stick around and not play when they're really good. And Mac Brown, I don't think is of the same um, approach in terms of how he deals with things that Nick Saban is at least publicly. A lot of, a lot of bad players leaving a lot of good teams. Right. And there's a lot of truth in that. And I'm not saying anything about Kadri because we haven't seen him enough to, to know kind of his situation. But in terms of – in general terms, a lot, of, a lot of truth in that comment that Nick laid out. A lot of people didn't like it. Um, just like you know, Roy Williams saying, Let, let's, let's be clear about what opt-outs are, right? Mm-hmm. They're quitters. A lot of people didn't like that either, but because Roy is who he is and because Saban's who he is, they can, they can speak frank. <laughs> yeah, and and if folks don't understand what Gregory meant, Nick Saban said a lot of bad football players leaving a lot of good football teams. So, you know, it, it's the nature of the beast, especially these days. Um, let's transition to uh, let's talk about the running back room a little bit. Um, and and quite frankly, that's been Gregory. You mentioned British Brooks, and that's been an area of speculation. Uh, I mean, I think we can agree that Ty Chandler's one. Or 1A. Greg, do you agree with that? I think it's got to be right now. Okay. Um, I mean, not, they didn't not bring enough of the enough. others have shown. Yeah, exactly. And not enough of the others have kind of and, run and, their way up there. Sorry what, to cut you off, Tom. What has Max said repeatedly this spring about Chandler? He loves it. He's been so true. impressed. Why? Because he can block. Because he played in the SEC. And oh, he's yeah. played against LSU, the Tennessee's, Alabama. Right. <laughs> And there's value in that for sure, but, but he's battle tested. Um, and I think that's a big part of it. And so from my untrained eye, 
And somebody asked me who won the Brendan Renner, Renner Award. I asked you that. You did, but some, a bunch of other people did too. And I think it was probably Josh Henderson, to be honest with you. That's what I was going to say too. Um, and that's the second scrimmage. He's looked really good. And he did look really good. And, Sam Howell said he probably he, – I asked yeah. Sam. I was like, all right, who – because he talked to all of them. I was like, Sam, who do you think had the best day? He's like, probably Josh Henderson. That's what he said. And then he was like, I'm sure – and. I mean, Sam was, doing he went into he was PC on the sideline and then he went into PC <laughs> mode and he was like, I'm sure Ty Chandler was impressive. You know what I mean? He was just like, I'm sure Ty was great, but those are the two guys he mentioned. I asked him and he frankly said Josh Henderson. And then he was like, I'm sure Ty was great too. And the one thing that I was going to ask you both about, and Greg, I'll start with you. If you've got a freshman and a sophomore, redshirt sophomore, even a junior that are equally talented, What's the co- who is the coach going to take? All things equal, except for the amount of years in the program, and you have experience already. Who's going to be carried forward? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, clearly you're going to go with the younger guy, and the only thing that would stop you from doing that is uh, roster management in terms of you don't want three freshmen running back, and that's all you got. Right. So that's part of it. But yes, I mean, all things, all things the same. You're going to take the younger guy every time. And so uh, I'd be shocked if Caleb Hood's not one of those guys getting major reps. I mean, he looked different at times out there, to me at least. He's different, for sure. And and, um, what's crazy (laughs) is he played Clayton last year as a quarterback. in 2019, and they beat the dog snot out of Clayton, who's about to play um, to go to the state championship here. So just roughhoused a really good tip football team last year as a quarterback, and it, <laughs> it was almost comical. But anyway, let me ask a question that popped up on the YouTube thing, uh, and I think it's relevant to our discussion. The freshman in 2020 got very little burn into the weight game. Any chance spring ball – any chance spring ball and the coaches better knowing how to handle COVID means we see freshmen taking more snaps early. Greg, I think that's that's yes. a great question, and I think it is it's going to bear fruit. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, the fact that North Carolina had so many talented freshmen come in last year in the in January, and then COVID hits and everybody went home. Uh, you don't have spring practice. You really don't have summer workouts. They did get an extra week or two for walkthroughs to make up for that loss. Uh, but when the when the freshmen are really just in training camp trying to figure out exactly what they're supposed to be doing, it is going to take them a while to get in. And it, it goes back to what we've talked about so many times in recent years, Tommy. If you've got guys you trust, at what point do you sub them out for somebody who is raw and inexperienced? Um, and the way you give them experience, yes, is to play them in games, but it also is spring. I mean, these guys have played three hard scrimmages and there's value in that and they'll play in more scrimmages in training camp. So while those aren't the same as live game action on Saturday, that's six scrimmage opportunities against really good opponents that gives the coaching staff an idea saying, okay, well, when the lights come on, we have reason to believe that this guy's not going to hurt us. And that's all they need to be able to let these guys loose. And they have so many difficult games last year, early in the year, 
they, you know, it was such a small margin of error. You couldn't really rely on the young guys yet. And so undoubtedly you're going to see a lot more young guys, especially up front uh, early in the year, maybe even against Virginia Tech. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I think special teams, even with some attrition that they'll have special teams are going to be ridiculous, a lot, lot better especially the coverage teams that you see. If you've got guys like Dilworth and Power playing on that, they're going to significantly improve there. Let me ask you both, and Gregory, I'll, I'll start on your side. Give me one guy on defense from the spring that you saw covering 15 practices or however many they have and three scrimmages. Give me two guys that people will stand up and notice next fall. And try to be different. I mean, you could say rah-rah, power, Javari. And if they're the, those are your guys, go ahead. Kevin Hester on the line. He has really come along. Um, he's gotten noticeably quicker, I think. I mean, he's a big body and he's powerful. But I think his his first step, with his, especially with his hands on the – I mean, you wouldn't see his old offensive linemen are big. They're big bodies. They're, they're good, and they're going to be good, and they're experienced. And he was able to kind of – I don't know how many times, I don't have a number, but he was able to handle his own and get by there and kind of show his quick, quick moves to the outside and kind of cut inside and give him with his hands and shake him. So I think that's a guy. Um, and then probably Curious Conley. It'll be interesting to see, especially if he's successful at safety with that movement and that switch um, just because he's all, I mean, when he's at nickel, he's all over the field. When you give him the kind of move him back and kind of the free reign of help moving around back there and being that last line, I just don't see many running backs getting past that last line of defense with JQ back there. He's so fast. So those are my two guys. Greg, two players on defense. Uh. I'm curious to see Don Chapman at nickel. It sounds like they, they really like that transition. Um, we know Conley's going to be on the field, uh, but Chapman has experience. I mean, he, he practiced at corner last year, played a full season at safety, and now they're trying him out at nickel. I think they're going to be able to use him in a lot of different ways. So I think that that is interesting. Um, and I think Chris Collins is the other one. Um, we, we know what – we know what Cameron Rucker can do. We know what Tamon Fox can do. They need another uh, pass rusher who can really disrupt things. And, and Chris Collins, uh, I mean, he's, he's getting snaps with the ones. And I know everybody loves Des Evans because he's the five-star and all that. And he's bulked up and, and gotten better even though he was a little dinged up in, in spring practice. But I think Collins is the guy. I mean, this is a kid who looked really good as a freshman uh, Mac and them decided that, hey, he needs to get bigger so we can actually use him the way we want to use him. So he redshirted a year just for the sole purpose of packing on weight. Uh, he did that. And so uh, I think he's the guy that's going to make some noise in the fall. He's 6'5", 255. That is a perfect body to get around the edge and get to the quarterback. Got to be able to dip those hips, though, and get around the edge. Is Des Evans a 10-sack guy? That discussion was on the message board, and Jason has him as an over/under nine and a half. That seems like a lot. It seems like a lot to me too. Um, if he if he is, then you know, uh, great for for North Carolina. Tamon Fox is is going to be a guy an outside linebacker. Just because I mean he didn't practice much this spring because they know what they've got and they, they think he's going to be their their stud for him. And we know what he's done sack wise throughout his career. 
So now you're really talking about one spot. And you've got, as we said earlier, you've got Kamon Rucker, you got Chris Collins, and you've got Des Evans. Um, so that may be a position. We talk about the inside linebackers not rotating a whole lot. You may see a lot of rotation outside linebacker just because they have possibly four guys that can be productive. But if you're rotating four guys, 10 sacks may be uh, tough to get to. And I think there's going to be a lot of half sacks because I can, I can see two guys, especially because I know Mac and Jay Bateman have talked about wanting not having to scheme sacks. But if you throw in the ability for their guys to take guys one-on-one and throw in the ability to scheme sacks, I could see a few times where two guys get back there that you half sacks kind of taken away and nine sacks led the ACC last year. So, and Des Evans first, like if we're talking 10 sacks, he's leading, he's most likely going to lead the ACC in sacks or at least be close to that. And, uh, you know, I feel like this short is, season last year and whatnot, but still, I feel like the disclaimer is, is accurate. And whenever there's a lot of hype ahead of a football season, you know, there's always hype going into a football season because everybody's undefeated in the off season, even more when there's reason to be excited. And so after spring, you know, after spring practice, spring game on Saturday, 75 minutes, you know, people are like, Oh yeah, you're going to play for college football playoff. And, 10 sacks here and 5,000 yards here. And like, I get it. It's fun, but everybody also, in, the, in the spring. No okay. punts and knowing you have four downs. Like, <laughs> I mean, there were times where on second down, say like the offensive play call was just like, ah, eh, whatever, you know? Eugene Asante literally walked through the middle of the offensive line for one of his early sacks. Like, what a great play. Like, well, no, not really. <laughs> yeah, he would have killed Chris Weller, but <laughs> <laughs> it's funny i asked uh talking about how and by the way i have the over on josh downs at 1250 um yards which ugh, I, but i don't know who else a lot of I, yards then i see him in a hospital bed with his foot surgery surgically repaired so yeah. uh i asked west durham on the inside carolina live show i said is the hype justified from outside our bubble and he said he thought it was justified but don't let hype cloud your reality and i think that that was an interesting take because you know 10 11 wins or more and all that stuff i mean like you always said greg how many times has carolina won 10 or 11 ball games ever i mean there's a lot of work to do it's going to be five times in 40 years it's going to be and and the thing is mac did it a couple of those um so three of them you know it's going to be It'll be a wild ride, and during the off season, it'll be fun. And I look forward to hearing Mac. You said next Tuesday, yeah. maybe we will convene and do this next Tuesday. And um, should be interesting to to build on Wes's point. What what I hate and what I uh, what, what I fear. I don't know. I, I think fear is probably the right word. Is that because there's so much hype and the expectation level will be so high that Carolina could go ten and two and people will be upset. And I, you know, given what North Carolina has gone through the last 20 years, you know, if you're not celebrating a 10 and two year, even if they stub their toe somewhere, I mean, what have you been a fan for, for 20 years? Like this is, this is the time to enjoy it. Just take it game by game, enjoy it. You know, they're going to be good. Um, So just enjoy the ride. And if, if they end up being better than what you think, great. 
Um, if, if they're still really good, but maybe not at Clemson's level, it's all right. I mean, the trajectory is, is going one direction. We, we know what that is. So if it's not this year, you know, before long, if Matt keeps doing what he's doing, they're going to be in contention. So just, just try to enjoy the journey as best you can. Absolutely. Is the college football playoff a possibility with the talent on this team? Sure. But, like, if that's your basis of whether or not you're going to think the season's successful, right. you might want to change your – because this is a team that hasn't been to the ACC championship games in 2015. You know? Like, nope. they didn't make it last year. They were close, but they they lost games that they could have won to get there. You know what I mean? So, like, if they just make that, I know that seems like so such low-hanging fruit. Like, just make it to the ACC championship game. But, they like – one one coastal title, to your point. Exactly. It's not that – it's not easy to do. Well, the thing is, I think that, and we're in, Greg, I don't know if I even told you, but at some point we're going to get together and do an over-under show. And one of them is going to be over-under wins, and I'm going to set it at nine and a half. And that's fair. I think that's fair given the schedule, and, and we will see how it works out. But, um, you know, the way college football works is you almost have to be perfect. You have to either be elite or perfect. And I still think Carolina's in the realm of they got to be perfect to win 10, 11, 12 ball games. And uh, perfection is just not a, not really relevant. Um, real quick before I go to break, Sherelle McMillan's going to join us here shortly for the Ooh. basketball portion. See, I, I got guests coming. The high point of the season, Greg, for you covering. For basketball? No, we're in football still. We're still in football. Um, high point of the entire season. Yep. Even the fall? High point of the 2021 season. Since since September 6th, I think, was the Syracuse game, to whatever today is. High point for football. Got to be Miami. Um, and, and not that North Carolina smacked Miami the way they did, uh, but to see Javante and Michael Carter do what they did. I've seen some impressive individual performances for, but for two teammates to do what they did uh, is really fun. It's really fun to watch. And um, I mean, they, they did it against a good team. And uh, that for me, that was because you, you're coming off, coming off Notre Dame and uh, North Carolina's kind of knocking at the door, but they're not there yet. And they needed a, they needed a big win. And that was a big win. And the way they did it was, was fun to watch. The fact that we were in the press box and we were just going back, hey, can you look up this? When was the last right. time this was done? When was like we spent like the entire fourth quarter and even a little bit of the third just looking up when the last time these numbers were happening. And we were like, what if it gets here? And it ended up like as being like, this is the most by the duo ever. And it got there. It was just absurd. I, I would I agree 100% with Miami. And I'll tell you this since I started working for Inside Carolina in 1998, I've sort of um, tempered my reactions to watching any sports when Javante hurtled the guy and then ran over number three and then spun and right, then yeah. spun and then went 15 more yards. I jumped and ran around the house. Imagine he scored. <laughs> we, oh yeah. If he would have cut back and scored, but how many times do we see that this week in the NFL draft? I know that play right there made him uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I was going to say the high point could not have happened yet. It could happen this weekend. Or not even it could happen Thursday. Yeah, we'll see what happens with the draft. What's the low point, real quick, to, in one sentence? Uh, football. Virginia, Florida State. We agree on those. Uh, Florida State, not Virginia. I think Virginia Florida State. State. Florida State. 
I agree there. That first half of Florida State was just – and that's what they can't do. That's what they cannot do if they want to play for the big-time games. I think an Orange Bowl berth again this year or, or whatever it is, whatever New Year's Six Bowl is available this year. And over ten, over nine and a half wins I think is a great season. And that gets Sam to New York, I think, most likely. Anyway, let me take a short break, talk about Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com. <clears throat> Everybody get your refreshments. Uh, get your drinks, refills, use the restroom. We're going to have Sherelle McMillan after the break. Uh, but Johnny T-Shirt's a friend of this podcast, and they're certainly friends of Inside Carolina. And you're, if you're a premium subscriber, like I always say, you get that 10% off your order. What they do is they send it to your house if you order it online, or they treat you right when you go on Franklin Street. I was in there this past weekend. Great folks. Two young folks working there. Very helpful. Um, very cordial and great customer service. So support Johnny T-Shirt as always. They're locally owned and operated and they've got plenty of gear, anything you could ever want. I could use a few new shirts. This one I've had since probably whatever that style was, probably 95, but uh, Johnny T-Shirt's your place to get it. We're going to take another break, letting the national guys pay the bills. We'll come back after the break, talk a little basketball. And then later in the show, we're going to talk about basketball highs and lows and maybe some other stuff. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back. This is Inside Carolina Live. Inside Carolina on the beat live. InsideCarolina.com sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. That's Gregory Hall and Greg Barnes. Sherelle McMillan will come in shortly. Um, but before Sherelle gets here, um, a couple questions are on the board already for that. Greg, and I'll ask Sherelle when he joins us, do you think the roster is complete at the moment? Just your hunch. Sherelle will certainly know more than we will. But your hunch, is this roster complete? I hope not. Um, they desperately need a, a center. And whether that's a transfer or preferably that's a, you know, a high school senior, they, they need a center desperately. And not, not for this year, of course, not for next year, but for the growth of the program. And also think they probably need a, a true small forward. Because uh, my concern is kind of looking at how things right now. I think Hubert did a good job, you know, getting the, the two kids that he did um, to really help next year and if Baycott comes back I think that team will be really good next year but after that uh, things get dicey very quickly and so he, he needs to make sure he's 
he's got some depth growing kind of behind the scenes so that when Baycott leaves and when Caleb Love decides to leave and when Leakey graduates uh, and when the Oklahoma transfer graduates, they're not left scrambling. Because mm-hmm. they will be bare bones if he does not load up. Absolutely. And I, so I think those two positions are very key for Hubert moving forward here. Let me ask you this, Greg, if you know, and I don't think it's been set. I know it hasn't been reported, but do we know Pat Sutherland's role for Carolina? Our our understanding is that he's been in the NBA for 20 years, 18 years. Uh, So our understanding is that it's going to be an NBA uh, player development type role. And uh, maybe Sherelle can can provide a little bit more insight there. Uh, but, But really, I think the idea is, Roy Williams had so many incredible contacts in the NBA that all he had to do was pick up the phone and he could call 20 to 25 GMs after the season and say, hey, where do you think my guys are going to be? So he had a pretty good base of information to provide his players in their all-season meetings. Uh, Hubert doesn't have those ties, or at least not to that extent. And so I think bringing in a a guy like Pat, um, who has so much NBA experience, he's, he's coached a lot of different places, um, he's he's been in this type of role. He he'll be a valuable asset there. Um, and I think if you want to make a kind of a parallel, it's the the Daryl Moody, Sparky Woods type deal that Mac Brown has. Guys that have a background at the pro level and they can really help the young guys understand what they need to do to make the next step. I know Auburn talk is frowned upon, but every time I'm hear the name Pat Sullivan, I'm going to think about the 1971 Heisman winner. Just throwing that out there. You were there. You saw him play. I'm just, I, I told my mom, I was like, Mom, Pat Sullivan. She, well, she saw it. She was like, she's like, Pat Sullivan. She's like, UNC has a Pat Sullivan. I was like, yep, they do. So, so man, Pat Sullivan was at Carolina. You know, he looks older than I do, at least. It's hard I, to do. I, I've aged a little better than Sullivan has. Sorry, Pat, if you're listening. Um, Greg, pontificate a little bit on that that sort of analyst role, you mentioned uh, Moody and Sparky Woods for Mac. I mean, how does that work as far as NCAA guidelines, ACC guidelines, school guidelines? I mean, can Hubert, for example, hire whoever he wants to be in certain roles as long as they don't have more than four on the bench, for say? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Alabama football is the the quintessential example because the way the bylaws work is uh, you've got a set number of coaches – and at the college level, you've got head coach and you've got three assistants who can actually coach on the court during practice. And then you also have strength and conditioning coach who can do a lot of different things with the players uh, throughout the year. But beyond that, there's really no limitations. I um, mean, you know, they, they created a job kind of out of midair for Kendall Marshall the past couple of years. Um, but as long as they're not actively coaching the players on the court, you can bring in as many analysts as you want and they can do different things. Um, and so I think, I think you Alabama, I don't even know how many, I mean, they have like three former head coaches as like analysts for them. You know, Larry Fedora was an analyst to Tom Herman at Texas. Um, and so you can bring in as many guys as you want. You can call them whatever uh, you got to pay them. And that's part of the issue. And that's one of the reasons that uh, a lot of people don't like what Alabama has done because they've got 20 of these guys on the staff and it's not a big deal to pay them $150,000 a year. Uh, most programs can't do that, and so that's why a lot of these smaller schools think there should be limits, but currently there are no limits. 
So Hubert can hire as many guys like that as he wants, as long as they're not actively, you know, coaching on the court. Um, you, do you know the definition of the word pontificate? I use it a lot. I should share your. You just thoughts. used it. I know. Man, don't ask me. I thought we said we're not doing that kind of stuff. Sherelle, what's happening, man? I had to. How are you? How are things? About to kick Gregory off this daggone podcast. Pontificate? He's calling out the uh, – he's calling out the host. Sherelle, do we – the question to Greg was Pat Sullivan's role in Mm -hmm. this recent hire. Do you have any idea other than sort of an NBA liaison type guy that Pat will be um, on Hubert's staff? Yeah, I've heard nothing. Uh, I think anything I say would be speculation. So let's, we need like a rampant speculation sounder or like, this is a rumor sounder that we played before. <laughs> so yeah, so people are like, this is not a report. Uh, no, what, what I was, would assume that, but yeah, he'd be kind of the NBA liaison. That, I need a sign that says uh, rumor, rumor. Right, rumor. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that he would be the person kind of um, helping with workouts and, uh, helping, you know, with identification of, of players who, uh, you know, are first, second round, gathering that information, you know, talking to scouts, getting them on campus, um, you know, kind of getting together what those workouts might look like. All the, all the stuff that's involved with, um, you know, helping guys for the NBA, helping guys for the next level, helping guys get overseas, all that stuff. Uh, I would assume that's kind of what his role would be. But again, we don't know. That's just that's just a guess based upon what he's been doing. It doesn't seem like you would hire somebody who has all this NBA experience and then have them not do kind of the NBA part of it. Um, and I know just from talking to people over the years, uh, the player development aspect of Carolina's program is one that right or wrong, whatever you, whatever you believe, has come under a good deal of scrutiny. So I think this is an attempt by – Hubert Davis, if Sullivan is in the role that we kind of think to um, help alleviate that. That's a very interesting take and a point. And that seems to me, um, and Sherelle, correct me if I'm wrong. And by the way, I know what pontificate means, Gregory, and it fits your opinions perfectly. Uh, Pat Sullivan's role, Hubert's ability to address um, shortcomings in the program, uh, uh, whether it's, you know, stretch fours that can shoot with – um, the Oklahoma transfer or getting Pat Sullivan. I mean, it seems like Hubert's attacked certain things head on um, that maybe were issues or perceived issues for the last however many years. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it's fair. And I, I think, you know, I think those are probably the easiest things. Um, those are fixes that don't require a ton of change or a ton of adjustment. Um, you know, you find a guy who can hit threes from the four spot. Very simple. Uh, you start beefing up what is player development, you, whether that is, um, well, I don't want to speculate too much. You start beefing up player development, you know, and, and talking about it, openly talking about it. I think that's an easy change too. So the stuff that he's done, I think is was definitely needed, but it's stuff that you can, you can attack pretty quickly. Like when presidents say, in my first hundred days, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Probably, you know, maybe Z they can't get accomplished, and they know that, but they know they can get X and Y. So I think this is a situation where he probably saw a couple of things that were easy fixes and said, let me knock them out real quick. And see, this, this is the thing. <clears throat> I understand it, but I feel like Hubert missed an opportunity here. And, and you know, Roy Williams went to bat for him to get him this job. I get it. So there's, there's incredible loyalty there. 
Um, but when he comes out and says, you know, I asked him specifically, but when he comes out and, and says the game has changed, uh, but doesn't really provide examples, like he had the opportunity to say, look, we need to do this. We need to do this. We need to do this. This is what we're going to be moving forward. Not be critical of Roy because Roy did what he did. And he was incredibly successful doing it. But this is how this game has changed. This is how I'm going to address it. And I think if he would have just laid that out, then everybody would have been like, whoa, like, all right, like we're in business now. And not just at the local level, but nationally. Um, I hate he missed that opportunity. And maybe, maybe as we get closer to the season, he'll be able to lay things out in those terms. Uh, but I, I think that's a, a, to your point, Tommy, I think that's an opportunity to say, look, I'm doing this, this, and this for this reason. Everybody pay attention because this is a new style of North Carolina basketball, even though we're rooted in the fundamentals and rooted in the Carolina way. Uh, so I kind of hate that, that we haven't seen that yet. Sherelle, what are, what's the likelihood, and I asked Greg this before you join, uh, what's the likelihood that Carolina's roster is complete at this very moment? Uh, yeah, I don't think it's complete. I think they're going to keep looking for players. Um, I think if we've seen anything thus far from Hubert Davis is that, you know, they're going to look for guys, whether it's in the transport portal or whether it's guys who – have decommitted or are looking elsewhere or guys, you know, like Efton Reed, who hasn't even committed anywhere yet. Um, they're going to keep looking and trying to find players. And again, not to be repetitive, but, you know, you don't have to be in the transfer portal until July 1st. Uh, so this could carry on for a, another you know month or two, depending upon uh, what the roster, you know, if they sign anyone in between. Um, we know he still wants, we know they want uh, another big, and we know that they are actively looking at shooters. Um, so uh, I think those two, if, if they find the right fit, they would definitely take them. So I don't think the roster is set. I think they would be okay going with what they have, but they are still trying to get a big and a shooter. Do you build the roster with the anticipation of Armando Baycott going to the draft, or how do you balance that? the draft in 2021 or 2022. Yeah. Like he's in the water, like that he's not going to be back. Yeah. I, I think, I, I think, uh, I think they've got a good word that they kind of know what he's going to do. Um, of course, you know, things can change. It's not a done deal until it's a done deal as we always say. But I, I think uh, if they really thought that there was a chance he was leaving, you would see them be much more aggressive uh, for additional, you know, big guys. And um they haven't, they haven't been that to our knowledge. Like, you know, obviously they're doing things that we don't know about, but the stuff that we're tracking, there's not that level of aggressiveness with guys who could come in and be a primary big. Interesting take. I mean, so how long has Hubert been hired? Month, less than a month still? I think it's crazy. A month today. It's a month to, month. He was introduced a month Ago today, I believe. No, Roy. No, Roy retired, retired on, on April first. Yeah. Okay, so three weeks ago today. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Are we surprised, or I mean, how do we feel as a group here? Um, how the transition has been? And Sherelle, I'll start with you. Uh, I mean, like we can't even figure out how long ago it was. It's just been that kind of whirlwind. I, I mean, it, as far as coaching transitions, it's what the fourth one that Carolina's had and since the sixties, how do we feel about it? Sherelle? How, how, um, did, how does your expertise feel about it? 
I think it was there there were good like everything there were there were good moments and, and kind of bad moments. I think um I, I know um what he intended to say when he said, you know, we want Carolina guys. I, I think he meant it, but I also think that he probably thought his staff was intact, as Greg has said, and, and that's one of the reasons you go that aggressively and say that out loud. Um, so I think that maybe is something that is a, was a little non-seamless because, um, you know, even though two of the coaches that he has as assistant coaches were coaching with him last year, um, it still felt a little strange and, and it took a little while, it felt like, to get kind of the assistant coaches, the, the, the bench roles uh, set. I think it took eight days, eight or nine days for them to be officially announced. Maybe long, I think it's actually longer than that. Maybe it's closer to two weeks for them to be officially announced. So that is kind of uneven. Um, from a roster continuity standpoint, I, I think people forget what Carolina is bringing back just because of what they lost. I mean, they lost the big guys, you know, frankly, all of them except for Armando more than likely. But there's a lot of talent coming back on this team. And I think that's been overlooked just because of all the transition. So he's got that going for him in the transition. I think he's, he's in a better situation uh, maybe than some people in the past. Uh, I, I would say, especially Matt Doherty, even though that season went really well, Matt Doherty's first year, I still think that Hubert is in a better situation overall um, just because of the way college basketball is and what he's likely to have back. Um, so there's that. And then, um, you know, some of the other stuff, you know, the recruiting stuff, I think he's done a, a pretty decent job. I mean, from day one, he showed the aggressiveness. And, and again, for, for me, that's been the most illuminating thing over this last three weeks is just how aggressive they've been. And they've had some um, pretty uh, shrewd, I would say, recruiting moves over those three weeks that show kind of they mean business. So I think from a, if you're a Carolina fan, that's a good thing to see. Uh and then just trying to finish out these two spots. So I, I would say overall, pretty good. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of change that took place as far as personnel. I mean, you kept three guys and then you brought in three guys essentially right now is, is what's happened. So um, that made it a little more seamless. Um, but I think the initial uh, we're going to hire the initial names we heard, I think maybe downgrade the grade just a little bit because of how aggressive again how aggressive he was in saying you know we want Carolina guys because he thought he had the staff kind of wrapped up uh so you know I, I would say a solid B I, I think um I think he's done about as good as a job as you could hope under the circumstances Greg what do you think you're usually the the tougher grader of the bunch I think and I tend to agree with Sherelle I mean the man just got hired to coach Carolina and whether or not folks believe it Carolina is still Carolina and so it's a pretty big deal and I think he's done pretty I agree with Sherelle I think he came out a little strong in the in the presser on on a couple things you know the the player that transferred I think that was a little aggressive as well but anyway Greg what do you think yeah I think that's fair um I, I do think some inexperience showed in that opening press conference which is you know I mean this is the guy who only has you know, nine years of assistant coaching experience. That's, that's part of it. I mean, how many times did he have a sit down press conference with media? I can't think of one. Um, and so for him to go on that stage, you know, I, I thought that was fine. Uh, I agree that his aggressiveness on the recruiting trail, um, I was a little bit skeptical there. 
And the fact that he took that approach and made some decisions very quickly bodes well. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Roy really set him up to have a good year next year. And provided Baycott does come back, that team can be really good. Um, now it's going to take coaching to get them up to a, a level where maybe they can compete you know, for the ACC title and to make a deep run in March. Uh, but they're starting at a good spot. So because of that, he really has a year to learn the job. And so I think every little move that we see, we're going to get to grade him knowing that his first year is going to be pretty smooth just because of the talent on hand. Um, but because you are going to lose a lot of talent next year, um, how he handles certain things and how he builds the program and develops the program, how he recruits, um, how he kind of lays the framework for future recruiting classes, that's going to tell us a lot more. So I think uh, right now, I, I think a B is fine. Um, but I think we're going to be able to have a much better perspective of how he can actually handle this type of program a year from now, because I, I fully expect this team to make the NCAA tournament. Um, and I don't mean this negatively, but I think a lot of guys could come in as head coach and make that happen. Um, so it's really what he does between now and then is going to be able to tell us, okay, well, how much has he actually solidified the foundation? How much has he actually helped this program take a step forward into the modern era? Um, and again, this time next year, we'll have a very good understanding of, of what kind of uh, foundation this program is on moving forward. Yeah, let's be clear. Roy Williams didn't leave Hubert Davis empty-handed, but nobody left anybody as well as Dean Smith left Bill Guthridge. Right. I mean that that's the that's the standard, and we see how that played out. I mean, Gregory, you feel free to jump in, but I'm rolling. Uh, Sherelle, the two additions, and I know, um, and, and this is the On the Beat podcast, and I much appreciate Sherelle from Coast to Coast fame with Joey Powell and Sean Moran joining us. Um, but people have asked somebody on the message board ask, it, it, are the two that they've received in the portal, McCoy and Manic, um, a and I know you've talked about it on that podcast, but for folks that haven't listened, I think Mannix a home run. Is McCoy? Uh, it depends on what the grading scale is. Uh, you know, if if someone who doesn't need, you know, 15 shots a game and someone who's not going to require being the star and someone who is going to do dirty work and, and be a good team player, if, if – you like that and you want somebody in that role, then yeah, he's a home run because that's what he is. Um, he's someone who is going to be a great, I think six man, maybe his first year. And then who has a potential uh, to start, you know, as I guess it would be his junior year, his second year at Carolina, which would be his fourth year overall, even though he'd still have more eligibility left. Like mm -hmm. the whole thing is crazy now, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I would say a home run, but he's a very solid, good player a foundational player on which you can build a program. And again, not to be repetitive, but college basketball is changing, you know, just it's not going to be the way it used to be. There's a recruit in 2023 who Carolina, you know, we 
we thought eventually he would definitely play at Carolina and he's talking about the G league already. Um, that's just the way it's going to be now. So you have to adjust your expectations to say just because Carolina doesn't sign a top 15 or top 10 guy, doesn't mean that they're not going to be competitive. You know, there's going to be a different brand of player that's going to be in demand. Now the types of players like Justin McCoy. So just imagine in two or three years, if they're able to keep, just to say four guys from this group uh, who are coming in next year. So say Dontre Styles and DeMarco Dunn and Justin McCoy, RJ Davis and Curran Walton are still at Carolina in two or three years. That's going to be hard to beat because they're going to be experienced. We know that they have some talent and Kentucky and Duke and Kansas and all these other schools aren't going to be bringing in, you know, these top, you know, these classes with five top 10 players or five top 20 players anymore. I think that that era is gone. So you just have to readjust your expectations a little bit to understand that just because a player is a top 60 now, you have to kind of redo the math. You know, top 60 with three years of experience might be, a, a you know, top 30 now because um, so many players are going to be bypassing college, I think, moving forward. Justin McCoy's offensive rating was 107.7, which would have been fourth on UNC last year. Small sample size, and he didn't play a whole lot, but just for some perspective, he would have been the fourth most efficient offensive player as far as offensive rating per Ken Palm on UNC's team last year. And Carolina needs guys you can rely on to be consistently solid, if, if that's the thing. Um, before we get to the sort of the superlatives and the bad, bad things from this past season, Sherelle, and I know we don't know, and we've said this over and over, but – from what we know now, what does Hubert Davis's Carolina team, who do they look like on the court? Is it four out, one in? Um, it's, I would assume it's got to be, given if Baycott comes back. But, I mean, give me some sort of way to wrap my head around what Carolina basketball might look like next year. I, you yeah. can't say I don't know. <laughs> I, I know it's frustrating for people, but we just don't know. I mean – the, the line I keep getting from people who have talked to them is a, a renovated, you know, if, if this, if, if Carolina basketball is a building, they're renovating the building and adding new fixtures and, you know, stainless steel appliances and granite and all that crap. <laughs> so I mean, that's kind of the analogy that we've been given. So I would think that to mean based upon that and the things that he said publicly would be more spacing, you know, a little more, um, you know, pick and roll. Sean May talked about it in his interview with uh, Jones and Adam, M you know, more pick and roll, uh, more spacing, more shooting, and then more NBA concepts. You know, what that means for the Carolina program, they run, a, I mean, they run a good amount of pick and roll last year. I think people just don't realize what it looks like. Um, you ask Adrian Atkinson how much they run fist, which is their late clock, you know, pick and roll play, which they, they did a pretty good amount. So I, I think you're still going to see some of the Roy Williams staples, but uh, just with a couple of, of wrinkles in there. Uh, and I do think they're going to run. I do think Hubert, just again, hearsay, speculation, rumor, play the sounder. <laughs> uh, what he wants to do is definitely get up and down the court is, is what we've been hearing. So um, I think it'll look similar, but you shouldn't expect it to look exactly the same. And a part of that is, I don't know if rebounding will be emphasized the way it was under Roy Williams. So when Carolina doesn't win the rebounding battle, everybody doesn't need to freak out because it's going to be different. Maybe there's a game where they take 35 threes, which is not very Carolina-like over the last 18 years. So everybody doesn't need to freak out. It's going to be somewhat different. Um, but the the basics, I think, will still be there, which are the break and, you know, the concepts, um, 
you know, trapping out of timeouts, you know, some of those things that we're used to, the lobs, the elevator screens, that kind of stuff will still be there. It's just going to be tweaked a little bit. Yeah, so. and I think I think to expand on that a little bit, Tommy, uh, Hubert's going to do the traditional North Carolina things, right? But if you look at who he played for, Dean Smith, what did Dean do differently than, than Roy? And, and Shrell hit on a few of them there. Dean didn't emphasize rebounding the way that Roy does. I mean, that was the foundation of what Roy Williams wanted to do. Everything began with rebounding. And that's how we get into the whole too big, traditional big conversation year in and year out. Uh, Dean was much more versatile in his defensive sets. He wasn't afraid to throw zone out there sometimes or trap and those kind of things. Roy has always been, uh, you know, he'll, he'll do man-to-man 99% of the time if he can. Uh, and every once in a while, you'll see him mix some things up. Um, and then there's also tempo. Uh, Roy pushed it at a, at a rate that, that Dean never really did. Um, but when you kind of get into the, you point into the passer and you get into the importance of, of teamwork and, and defensive uh, strategy and, and what you're trying to accomplish with a secondary break and all these kind of things, I mean, that is North Carolina basketball. Uh, and so Hubert's got to put his own stamp on there. But I do think you may see a little bit of a transition back to some Dean Smith options. Um, I would like to see this again. <laughs> this is me. This is not anything that, that I've been told. But you would like to see more creativity uh, defensively than what Roy did. I think Roy was as stubborn in what he wanted to do. And a lot of it had to do with rebounding. He thought that if you play man-to-man, your guy, uh, your player knew who he was supposed to block out. And that's very simple. And that was the basis for it. He never thought his teams blocked out worth a flip when they played zone. Um, so I, I would like to see some, some changes there. The tempo aspect, I think everybody moves a lot quicker these days. Um, so while that's important, I don't think it's what it was 10 or 15 years ago. So you can get creative there. And then, of course, the spacing. And with a guy like Manic, um, certainly he can play inside. But his ability to move out and give you an extra three-point shooting opportunity guy uh, that frees up some space for, for Caleb and Anthony Harris and RJ to, to really get into the paint and make some things happen. So uh, I think I think we have a kind of an idea of what it's going to look like. But like Sherelle said, we, we won't know until we actually see it. And that's, that's the fun part. Uh, we'll really break down every single game next November and December and January like we haven't in a long, long time. Just well, to- See what's going on. I mean, it's going to be. I, I think it'll be significantly different. Go ahead. I just what I'm interested in finding out is kind of more how practices are run. Because with talking to, because there's nothing more I can add to than what Sherelle and Greg just said as far as what expectations and what Hubert could do and things like that. But talking to the JV guys, um, I don't know if it'll change just based on practice length and things like that. But they said that Hubert never really made them run after practice as far as getting in conditioning. And he kind of believed more about getting your conditioning in during the practice. And if a warm up drill wasn't done right, they would spend 30 minutes of the hour and 15 minute practice, just doing the warm up drill until it was perfect. So it'll be interesting to see how those things kind of change when coaching varsity. And that's just something I'm looking forward to try and figure out how that, how those work and things like that. Absolutely. It's fascinating. I was going to say with the, you talk about four, four uh, out one in, I mean, (laughs) go back to the 93 championship team. I mean, George Lynch was the four. I mean, he's a six, 
six and a half maybe guy mm-hmm. playing the four. I mean, and then the next year or two years after that, Jerry Stackhouse at six six is playing the four for UNC. So it's not something um, that I would say is you know revolutionary or new. Dean, you know, Coach Smith was doing it. 25, 30 years ago, um, and probably even before I can really remember back in my time. I think Kevin Madden might have played some four at some point <laughs> back in the day. This guy was so jacked. Um, but anyway, I mean, you know, so <laughs> I, I think to to Greg's point, you might see, um, you know, Coach Davis lean on some of the things he learned from Coach Smith. You go back and look at those teams. I think Rick Fox played some four with Hebrew Davis back in the day. Um, you know, they had they had bigs. They had Salvadorian Chilcutt and Eric Montross and, you know, rest in peace, Cliff Rogier. But, you know, it, they didn't play them all together all the time. They did sometimes, but it was a lot of George Lynch. There was times when Brian Reese played the four. Um, you know, Hebert was gone by then. But to, that's, I guess to the point is that he's seen teams play with a big and then um, maybe not what four out is now, but with a big and then, you know, two forwards and two guards. Um, so it's not something that's going to be new to him. Um, you know, dating back 25, 30 years. So I'll be interested to see that. Um, And then, you know, it's funny. (laughs) If y'all go back and watch some of those games from the late 80s and 90s, um, I would be fascinated to see what Coach Smith would do with how the games are played today. Because every time I watch an old Carolina game or old Kansas game or even old Duke game or Kentucky, there are no ball screens. There's no high ball screens. It does not exist. And so it's all motion. It's all like 12 guys or 12. I'm thinking the wrong sport. It's all 10 guys like within <laughs> eight feet of the basket and they're just screening each other and everybody's posting up and everybody's cutting and there's 45 seconds on the clock, shot clock. It looks like an entirely different sport. And you couldn't um, carry the ball. You yeah, couldn't you make contact yeah. with the guards. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it's, it's so weird. Um, so I said all that to say, you know, now we're talking about spacing and giving guys room to be them and, and all that good stuff. Um, I, it's not going to help anyone more than Armando Baycott and Caleb Love, I don't think, on this particular UNC roster. Because uh, I think one of the things we saw with Caleb last year is that he could get by his man, you know, sometimes. Sometimes he couldn't, but sometimes he would get by his man and there would just be either wouldn't be room to finish or, you know, kind of one of the bigs would bring their man into him and he just hit a brick wall. It might look like he got fouled and he would turn the ball over. I think this year you'll see uh, someone like Manic or McCoy instead of being there kind of on the block, they'll be out in the corner or the top, giving him more space for a lob to Baycott. And then, of course, Baycott is going to have a lot of room, I think, in the middle to kind of do his thing. So uh, the, the Manic siding was huge for UNC for a variety of reasons, but uh, mostly, I think, because of how it frees up Caleb Love and Armando Baycott. Because I do think those are going to be their, their go-to guys next year. Those are the guys that, if they play well, that you know the team can do something. Gregory. Is bringing on obviously bringing on Brady Manic helps UNC as a whole. Does it help or hurt specifically Kerwin? Uh, I think it helps Kerwin. I think it helps everybody. I don't. I don't see the downside, um, especially offensively. Um, I think it helps Leaky offensively. I think it helps Kerwin offensively because just last year, how many times we talk about it? You know, if you stop Kerwin, who else is going to make a shot? Good point. Um, and so this year you would expect some growth from Caleb, some some growth from RJ Davis, some growth from Anthony Harris, some growth from Leakey, some growth from Puff. Um, and then you have Kerwin. If he can just do what he did last year, he's going to have a lot more open looks because you're not going to be able to, you know, when when he's 
in that pick and roll, you're not going to be able to, you know, just <laughs> come down hard on him with, you know, two or three guys, because if you do, here's this guy from Oklahoma who's made 230 some threes in his career wide open in the corner. So there's going to be, you know, penalties, so to speak for guy for teams who want to attack Walton. Now, Defensively, you know, that's a different conversation, but I, I think uh, at, at some point, you know, you have to play to your strengths. And I think this North Carolina's team's strength is going to be offensively. So it would be Kerwin at the two and then Manic at the three if they played on the floor together? And like, or they would just both kind of fluctuate, like, you know what I mean? Fluctuate a little bit? No, I think it would be about three, four. Yeah. Kerwin at the three. I, I don't, I don't know about that one. Um, yeah. That's, I wasn't, you know, I, I don't think he could defend that. Well, see, the thing is, though, <laughs> started before last season, we were like, Kerwin at the two, two, we don't know about that one. So maybe we're not uh-huh. giving him enough credit. You know, maybe Fair. he can start at the two or the three. Um, but, you know, all of it, uh, all of it is guesswork, I think. Um, you know, you, I think you can kind of pencil in Ar- Armando Baycott because, you know, we expect him back. And if he's back, he's going to be the best big on the team. Yes. I don't think someone like Manic transfers from Oklahoma with a year of eligibility to not start. Um, and then after that, you know, Caleb has the upper hand, but who knows? We, we don't know what Rehubri Davis wants. So it's, it's hard to project, you know, a, a lot, I and, think, moving forward. Yeah. And the interesting thing with this is if, if Manic is the outside shooter, we think he is. We know what Kerwin can do. Caleb's going to be a lot better as a sophomore. And you've got Baycott in the middle. So who's at the three? And if you've got shooters at the two and the four <laughs> – Leaky's the kind of guy you want at the three, right? The glue guy who can do everything. Uh, so that's going to be a great conversation for the boards to have. Is, is it going to be great? Is it? Leaky at the three. It's uh, going to be conversation. Uh, no, it's it's going to. You be know, same. Hubert's going to play Leaky. Well, it, it's going to be the same thing like we said last year when me and Greg were on these podcasts with Tommy. We said, folks. You know, Andrew Playtech is going to play. Whether you like it or not, he's <laughs> going to play. And it's going to be the same thing with Leaky this year. You know, it might not be 31 minutes a game leading the team in minutes, but he's going to play. So the sooner everyone can come to grips with that, I think the better, because there are things that are good about him. And I think the way the roster is positioned now will actually um, help highlight the things he does well and kind of hide yeah. the things that he doesn't. Um, so you know, we'll, we'll see, but he's going to play. So just the sooner everyone accepts it, you know, the better. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent what you just said. And really over the last 10 minutes, you guys have just been laying it all out there. If leaky doesn't have to be relied on score, he can do everything else that he's can do. Um, and, and I think Manic gives that, I think Baycott's going to be fantastic in this offense. I, I think if he can stay out of foul trouble, um, you're looking at an eight, 18 and 12 type. Um, season for him or more but um, that will be the question is who's the second shooter is it Kerwin Walton is it uh, you know does RJ Davis develop into that I wonder where Anthony Harris plays Uh, I mean um, it'd be a lot to talk about as we go on to your point about Leaky with scoring but if there's more space in the lane I mean we know he likes to drive yeah and so he might be more successful at that without a crowded lane. You never know. So fascinating. Sherelle, let me ask you one more question before we get to the end of this podcast. Um, Hubert's been on the recruiting trail hard, and we talked about that earlier, um, and he's been aggressive. How does Hubert Davis's name and paired with the Carolina name, what kind of weight is that carrying, carrying out there on the trail um, before he's even coached his first game? 
Um, you know, I think we'll have a better answer, you know, once things really get, you know, back in order in June and July. Uh, but every the, the the players that we've talked to, most of them were predisposed to like Carolina a little bit already because they've either offered or um, had to have conversations with Coach Williams. But to a T, they all immediately like, oh, he's such a great guy. I love him. Um, there's one uh, player I can share this now, uh, Deontay Green uh, from Asheville, uh, who is a six nine power four. He's the top ranked player in North Carolina in the 2022 class, and he's just like, oh, I love him. He's great. He calls me when he's, you know, going fishing. He called me the, you know, during the first week and was just like, I needed a day off because everything was so crazy. So I called you and I met my son, soccer, you know, just that kind of talk. Um, there's one, another player, Justin Taylor, uh, who's up in Virginia, who has a Carolina offer. Uh, he talked about how he watched the press conference and he was so, uh, you know, kind of bought in into Hubert's message. Um, but, you know, to just every single player we talked to and, and parent we've talked to thus far has said just how great of a person he is and how down the earth he is and, and just how nice he is so that is something that that doesn't mean that he's a great recruiter it just means that he's connected with people in that way which can help him be a great recruiter I think the the jury is still out on on all this stuff um, but you know it's a good start and that's that's all you could hope for absolutely win win the parents you can often win the child. Uh, Gregory, superlatives. Let's go with low point of Carolina's basketball season. Cannot be Roy Williams' retirement. Putting you on the spot. First round exit to Wisconsin. Just how poor that game went and how – I mean, we talked about contrasting styles entering the game and just the magnitude at which Wisconsin overpowered UNC with the style of play that they wanted to play. So not only the first round exit, which was Roy's first first round loss and all yada, 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 but just the way they lost, especially considering that they were playing, I think, their best. Was what? it surprising, though? Was that guy? I mean, I think UNC was playing some of their best basketball this season, the ACC tournament leading up to that point. So to me, it was surprising as far as you know, whether or not Wisconsin, like obviously Wisconsin was going to give them a run for their money, but and I'm not saying they should have won the game, but just, and I wasn't necessarily expecting a win going in because Wisconsin's a good team, but UNC was playing good basketball in the ACC tournament. Yes. They ended up losing to Florida state, but that was a hard fought game and they came back. So that's the low point for me is just the way that they lost considering they, they, and I know they felt like they were playing some of their best, best ball too. So. Shrell low point. Uh, Marquette, you know, it just, is just so, you can't explain why that happened. Um, there's no justification for it. They're, they were a better team. Marquette had not played well. He just beaten Louisville by 45 points. You know, they had a week off and uh, just just didn't show up. Thought they thought they were going to go out there and, you know, we're big, bad Carolina and we're going to win, and it didn't work for them. Um, so to me, that was the most disappointing thing because they really had an opportunity, as Greg has mentioned several times, to play themselves out of, you know, a game against someone like Wisconsin, you know, into a 7-10, you know, matchup, which, you know, I think it showed that maybe they could have done more had they not ran into a team like Wisconsin. So I don't want to say that they played Wisconsin because they lost to Marquette, but it definitely was um, one of the things that led to it. Greg? Yep, agreed. <laughs> Keep it simple. <laughs> High point, Gregory. And you know the just coming back to you. Go I ahead. mean, I don't know. Maybe you're doing like a snake thing, going back to Greg. Um, probably both Duke wins. 
I mean, I know Duke wasn't great, but considering the year UNC had the year before, I'd say sweeping Duke. Shrew? I would say the Notre Dame game because you thought you were seeing a preview of what the Carolina team was going to look like um, in 2021-2022 between uh, Walker Kessler playing so well and, and Caleb and RJ hitting shots and uh, you know, the, the big guys dominating, you just thought, okay, this is the UNC team that makes a run next season after, you know, maybe a disappointing loss in the NCAA tournament this year. So that was kind of, uh, I think that to, to me, that was the high point. Greg. January. Um, just because North Carolina won six to seven. And as Shrell says, you know, there were, there were stretches in there where North Carolina looked really good. And the only loss was at that point in time, the, the at Florida state, and Florida State was playing like the, the best team in the ACC at that point in time, even though Scotty Barnes did not play in that game. Uh, but even though North Carolina was was not perfect and had some flaws, we saw that team have a lot of fight. And we saw that early in the year, but it really kind of came together in January. And even though they were a flawed team, uh, I really thought they would be able to build on that. And that kind of gets you into – some of the games that we saw in February are just kind of head scratchers. I mean, the Clemson game, I mean, oh, that was, that was hard to watch. And I was there in person. Um, and then, of course, Marquette, for all the reasons that Sherelle mentioned. So it, it felt like that team was building and growing the way that Roy Williams teams typically do in January. And then they just, just kind of ran out of gas after that. But the, they looked really good in January. And I think they gave a lot of people a lot of, a lot of hope and optimism. Last bonus question, Sherelle. Biggest surprise this season? And it can be anything. Uh, biggest surprise this season? Uh, yeah, just that the freshman guards shot so poorly overall for the season. I think uh, when I say freshman guards, I'm not including Curl Walton. Uh, I want to make that distinction. Just, you know, thinking of, of RJ and Caleb, because those guys had proven that they were, you know, good to competent to good shooters in high school and not just in high school in AU at USA, you know, at, at those big events with other really good players. So I, that really, really surprised me because I thought they were going to be able to shoot better. You don't expect freshmen to shoot well, but I didn't expect them to be, you know, where they were, which is the, the mid twenties and, and low thirties. So that, that was pretty surprising. I do want to give Sherelle some credit here though, because he more than anyone else cautioned that it's tough for guards to come in and shoot lights out from the get go. We've seen it time and time again. Uh, and even though they shot probably worse than we thought, I think he did a very good job of laying the framework of don't get your hopes up too much in terms of shooting percentages. Yeah. And it's crazy how we thought not having crowds would might help. Yeah. And it did not. And I was to not give myself credit. I was super wrong about that. I just I thought it, <laughs> I thought it was gonna be, you know, much easier for those guys. And man, it it was not. So yeah. Well, what a crazy year. Um inside Carolina's been right there front and center, mostly Greg Barnes on site and Gregory Hall on site on games in Chapel Hill and of course Sherelle covering all things basketball recruiting, all things scoop wise and, and all it's just been you know i've been doing it since 98 and you guys have been here for various years i've never seen anything like the past what 15 months that we've had and hopefully we're through it and can get back to normal i know sherelle you mentioned on the coast to coast a couple of weeks ago that it was the first time in what 13 14 months you had sat in the gym and watched some basketball I yeah mean, just it was, yeah it was crazy <laughs> 
Hard to believe, and I'm not sure, you know, everybody has asked, is this the most exciting time in Carolina sports in quite some time? Um, with the excitement around the basketball team building and then what Mac Brown's going on, got going on, I think it's going to be a, quite an interesting offseason. But I want to give a shout-out to everybody inside Carolina, um, but especially this crew right here, Gregory Hall, Greg Barnes, and Sherelle McMillan. Spend and Luke. And Luke Buxton, who's uh, – doing his thing on senior night got to give him credit and uh ross and joey and don and all those folks and michelle buck and ben and jim hawkins if you like photos jim is your guy but uh this has been the last scheduled on the beat live johnny t-shirt's been our sponsor i'm tommy ashley that's gregory that's greg that's sherelle thank you guys for joining us we'll see you again next time thanks for listening to another podcast from insidecarolina.com Brought to you by johnnytshirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. There's a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.